You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Welcome to the Choose Buy Radio Podcast. My name is Jonathan and my co-host name is Brad. We host a twice a week show on Monday and Friday. On Monday, we introduce a new topic or idea. And on Friday, we usually deep dive into that topic. We provide our takeaways. We add in any additional feedback from our audience. Uh, and we really try to open it up and crowdsource the show. So today, we're actually going to be taking some time to talk about the pension. Now, the pension poses a very interesting financial dilemma as it pertains to financial independence. Most of the financial independence calculators that are out there do not traditionally incorporate the pension into the planning. How do you do that? The pension can be wonderful, but it can also hang around your neck like a golden albatross. So we went out and we found the guy, Grumpus Maximus, who has actually centered himself in the financial independence community talking about this exact dilemma. Grumpus is coming on the show today. He's going to share his backstory. We're going to talk a little bit about marital harmony and bliss with regards to budgeting and then spend a significant amount of time talking about how to incorporate a pension into your FI plan. It's going to be a really fun episode. Super excited to share it with you today. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? I am doing quite well, Jonathan. Yeah, this should be a, a good conversation. Obviously, Grumpus has been a significant member of our Facebook group for months now, and I've always seen him post and have talked back and forth, but, it, but it's nice to actually speak in person. And as you kind of alluded to there, it's pensions, and the military also. We've had tons of people ask us for a guest to talk about both of those topics. And it's interesting that we got one person to speak about both. So with that, Grumpus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here. Nice. So my first question is, where does Grumpus Maximus come from? Grumpus Maximus, the nom de guerre, comes from uh, my brother and my wife coined that phrase between them while I was deployed one time. My brother and I are both in the military. One of my brothers and I are both in the military. He and my wife were roommates at the time, and I came home from deployment, and they had coined this term possibly because of my demeanor once I returned or during my deployment. Unknown exactly the true origin between the two of them, but I came back, and I was Grumpus Maximus from that time on. Yeah, don't get offended. Just embrace it and then turn it into a moniker. Yeah. And then, you know, the wife goes out and starts buying coffee cups with the nom de cure on it and, and everything. It's it's great. Wow, you know, that's cool. So it's a whole persona now. It's not just not just the blog name. It is. So by the time I started blogging, it wasn't even a choice as to what my nom was going to be. It was just, hey, the logical choice was Grumpus Maximus. Well, let me just say for the record that Brad, he uh, messaged us way back earlier in this year, uh, challenging us on maybe, I think it was on whether or not a Roth or a 401k would be a better, a better fit for a very specific financial situation. And as soon as I saw Grumpus Maximus at the bottom of that email, I messaged him back. I don't even think I had an answer to his question. I said, you need to go lock that moniker down on every single social media space that you can. You need to do it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I did exactly that. 
I got it all on Facebook and, and everywhere else, but Twitter, somebody had already grabbed it, so I had to reverse my moniker and say Maximus Grumpus on Twitter, but everywhere else I did, and so I'm definitely uh, locked in, I think, as Grumpus Maximus from that time forward, so I thank you for that. Yes, good little, good little tip there. <laughs> so branding, branding's big, right? For us blogger space, it's the, it's the lifeblood of our, of our presence. So Grumpus, I have always felt, and I feel like maybe it was a uh, my English professor that told me this back in high school, the best place to start is at the beginning. So I would love for you to introduce to us maybe your backstory, a little bit about your military service, and how you stumbled onto this problem of the pension and the golden albatross. Can you give us a little bit of your backstory? I sure can. So I think for the readers, or my readers and your listeners, there's probably three main points that I would point out to my backstory. One is that I grew up in a fairly well-to-do upper middle-class family in, in the Midwest. I could see from early on in my life, somehow, I, I don't know why, it was fairly recognizable to me that I was uh, born on first base. And uh, so I felt this calling to give back somehow. I don't know why exactly, but the military seemed like uh, what I was meant to do in order to give back. So from the youngest age that I can remember, I always wanted to join the military. You know, the type of service or the service branch of the military kind of wavered between, you know, where I was at the time of my life. But the military was always the number one goal for me. And part of it was that service aspect and that idea of giving back to, you know, not only to this country that I had been lucky enough to be born in, but some other things as well. Uh, number two would be that at age 13, weirdly enough, and this is – I tell you this for purposes of the fact that this is a personal finance podcast, is that at the age of 13, I was involved in a horrible accident, freak accident. My body was was mangled, and only through the miracle of being 13 years old and uh, being able to recover and have a growing body and be otherwise healthy, I was – pretty much able to recover from it uh, without any outward effects. But one of the side results or the, the byproducts of that accident was I was involved in a personal injury lawsuit, or at least my parents were on my behalf, in which I ultimately received around $100,000 by the age of 15, 16 years old, maybe, I think by the time the lawsuit was done. And I received that money or I didn't receive it. My parents took custody of it, and then I, I ultimately received it at the age of 18. I received it with very little financial training and, and background, and I, I kind of convey that in some of the stories on my blog. But, you know, my parents were very conscientious about what this money should do for me and what it wasn't going to be allowed to do for me, and that carried through with me, so I never went out and blew it on a Ferrari or anything like that. But, um, you know, I I hit certain points in my life where I just, I had some money without any kind of the the training and background that I really needed upon reflection now, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the line. So that's number two part of my story right there is like, I have always had some money invested, but... I haven't necessarily, until the most recent years in my life, known what I was actually doing. And then part three of my story, obviously, is the military. I I did ultimately join the military. I've been in for 18 years. 16 of those years have been spent since 9-11 in a military that's been constantly at war. I have deployed multiple times to multiple different theaters, including Afghanistan and um, small parts of Iraq, 
you know, I don't think anybody who's in my peer group in the military could have gotten away from those experiences, considering what our nation's been through up to that point. You know, ultimately, for me, it, that was everything I had joined to do was being fulfilled through the fact that, you know, our nation's been at war and deployments and getting the chance to lead people in combat situations and things like that was um, was ultimately some of that calling that I felt to do. And then I want to say, however, and I think there is going to be a however for a lot of people who identify with this, who are in the military and in your audience, is that, you know, at some point, especially with a nation who's been at war for so long, uh, you, you hit this point, and maybe it's because, you know, you had some experience in combat, or maybe it's just because you're tired of all the deployments, or maybe it's just because um, you're tired of the bureaucracy that obviously comes along with a large government organization. You hit this point where uh, you feel like you're not sure if you can do it anymore. I came to that point about two years ago. I was about 16 years into the military. Ultimately, I just I had a mental breakdown. I was under a huge amount of stress, and I um, had experienced some things in my military career that had started to catch up with me. And uh, I was diagnosed with a small amount of PTS, which um, was diagnosed as... Um, mixed uh, depressive anxiety disorder, and I've been dealing with that ever since. And those feelings of not being sure if I wanted to continue in the military were ultimately somewhat alleviated by the fact that I discovered financial independence, the financial independence movement. I was strangely enough at the time near my mental breakdown, I was already involved in uh, taking management of my own money again and educating myself. I was on this, I call it on my blog, a two-year journey to educate myself on personal finance, everything I could from listening to podcasts to reading books to reading blogs. I actually call that the three-legged stool of knowledge on my blog as well. But the point is, I was kind of already along this financial journey when I hit this this golden albatross moment, as I have now termed it on on the blogosphere of you hit this point when you're in this pensionable job, my peer group in the military, it's an all or nothing pension. You get it when you hit 20 years of service. And I was at 16 at the point of my mental breakdown where I wasn't sure if I could go on. And so this, you know, you're sitting there trying to judge, should I walk away from, you know, this guaranteed amount of income for the rest of my life because I'm so dissatisfied or upset or I got so many issues going on? Or do I continue on, struggle and just grind it out until you hit that point and you know you're you're good and um and then and then move on from there once you're vested into your pension. That's something a lot of people struggle with, as I find out on my blog. And it's not just in the military. You know, a lot of these pensionable jobs that are left these days in the U.S. economy, at least, are government jobs. Um, Some of them are not the nicest jobs in the world. Other ones, like police and fire, you see a lot of bad things and a lot of that stuff catches up. And even some of the, um, the pensionable jobs out there in the private industry, like working on a car line assembling cars or something like that you know that's that isn't something that everybody wants to do for the rest of their life right you know there are other things in this world that people want to do but that pension that you know that golden albatross as i call it keeps them there and uh 
when I coined that term, a friend of mine and I had gone forth about, well, that's just the golden handcuffs. I, I think that's, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the idea of golden handcuffs. But when I started researching golden handcuffs, turns out golden handcuffs is a term, a business term specifically built for uh, high-level executives, right? So you often hear it attached with golden parachute as well for when they leave those jobs, they get a huge golden parachute. But the golden handcuffs idea was really meant to keep executives uh, with large sums of money doing jobs they may not necessarily want to do. Maybe at companies they didn't want to be with it anymore or anything like that. So the idea of sticking around for the pension specifically for kind of the worker managerial class that I was looking at was undefined. And so me and this friend kind of came up with this term golden albatross as a result. I would say you're sanitizing the term because you are now the number one entry on Google for the golden albatross. But if you Ah, scroll down to number five, unfortunately, Urban Dictionary does have an alternate definition. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, I'll just I leave do, that I one alone. Family-friendly show, so I think we'll stay away from that. But, <laughs> but I like yeah, I like so. your definition much better, and think it's incredibly appropriate. Uh, I, I agree. So many it changes the math when you have this pension. You essentially you're sitting at a job that you've been working for ten to fifteen years, and you get to this point where you don't know if you want to keep doing this particular job. But depending on whether or not you ride it out, it so drastically changes the math that you're almost going down two parallel paths. Yeah, so that's an unbelievable tool for financial independence, right? Back back in the day, back, you know, up through the late 70s, early 80s, you know, the pension was the, you know, the retirement planning. There were a lot of people who didn't need to do anything else. The pension was going to be there and would provide everything for them. Obviously, that has changed over the last three decades, and the pension is just yet another tool in the toolbox of trying to achieve financial independence if you so choose to do it, right? If you so choose to use it in that format or fashion. And that's a powerful draw to keep somebody in a job situation or in a work environment that they may not necessarily want to stay in or want to be in. And, you know, as you guys point out all the time on this uh, podcast, there are other things that we're meant to be doing in life other than just working, you know, one job. But that pension, and obviously in these days of the health insurance fluctuations and stuff like that, those benefits connected to those pensions oftentimes are a draw to keep people in those positions doing jobs that, you know, they may or may not want to be doing long term. I guess I would provide one caveat. I don't want people to to interpret my issues as me saying, oh, I hate the military or I, I somehow have grown so dissatisfied with it. It's, it's not that at all. It's just, hey, I, you know, I hit this point where I feel like I had done enough. I had achieved all my goals. It just happened to be four years earlier than, than what my pension was going to pay out. <laughs> yeah, and that's an important point, certainly, is that you get to this inflection point where, okay, in theory, you'd like to be done, but you have this golden albatross hanging out there only 48 months off in the distance. You know, I mean, that's that's a really short time when you're talking what potentially if we were trying to turn that stream of income and, and maybe you can give the audience some sense of, of what this means in dollars and cents. But if this is a forty thousand dollar a year pension, I mean, that would be like having a million dollars, let's say. Right. If we're talking just the bare back of the envelope, you know, four percent rule. Right. You have a million bucks. You take out 4% of it, that's $40,000 a year. Now, I'm not sure, and, and I'd love to hear your 
analysis of how you consider the value of this pension. But, you know, just to kind of paint the picture, this is this is big dollars. So this is not something you can just say, oh, to heck with it. I'm going to just forego this. Right. Correct. So I actually spend a lot of time on my blog and I've written this series called the pension series. And a lot of that series is dedicated to how to quantify your pension. So how to value it, how to value the, so just monetarily, like how to value it with the idea of, does it have a COLA? Does it have a cost of living adjustment? Does it adjust with inflation over the years or does inflation slowly eat away at it? And then um, how to value some of those other benefits that go along with it. Obviously, the medical one is huge these days. And it's just um, I struggle and I work with other people in the blogosphere like Bigger and McCracken and some other folks at trying to qualify and quantify exactly uh, what a pension would do for you in your retirement. So for your financial independence plan and then what you are potentially walking away from. And I think that's like where I, I really came from with the pension series to begin with is I had these struggles about what was I potentially walking away from when I hit my mental breakdown a couple of years ago and seriously thought about leaving the service at 16 years, you know, and, and only four years away. What, what am I walking away from? And it turns out, you know, for me, at a guy at my rank and service length, you know, that was around $55,000 a year at the time. And, uh, of course, you get all the medical that goes along with it. You get a whole bunch of other privileges that go along with it to go on base and, you know, buy gas on base and buy your groceries on base and just all sorts of things. And, you know, you, you value that over time. You use compounding interest, you, you, much like, you know, people do with the 4% safe withdrawal rate or 3.5% safe withdrawal rate, as Erin McCracken likes to say. When you look at it, you are walking away as a military member who would be retiring in their mid-40s like I would be, well over a million dollars worth of payment over a lifetime. And that is security that you are ultimately walking away from, especially when you're talking about a federal government pension. Yeah, you know, part of the other thing I, I talk about in the pension series is that um, – you know, not every pension is the same. There is a safety issue with pensions in the uh, certain parts of the public sector, but definitely in the private sector that you don't have to deal with the further you go up kind of in the government scale. You know, certainly federal government pensions are, if I had to qualify which ones are the most, most safe, federal government pensions are the safest. You know, as you start working down the state and local level, they get less safe, let's say. And then obviously on the private side or in the private sector, there are a lot of examples out there right now of, you know, companies that have gone bankrupt and and the pension uh, insurance agency that the government has established has to step in and people don't get the, you know, the amount that they were planning on. So, you know, a lot of my time, I guess, coming back to what you were originally asking in the pension series and a lot of the reason for uh, that I began blogging to begin with was to help people try and qualify and quantify exactly what this pension could do for them in the future, specifically when it comes to planning financial independence. And one of the phrases that really stood out to me, and I think the header for this line was worth versus worth it, was was the more than $1 million I would earn from a military pension worth the potential long-term damage I might do to my mental health if I serve four more years? And I think that's the other half of this inflection point that maybe isn't being highlighted by the value of this pension is that 
if you are just miserable and you're in a state of misery, what damage does it do to your long-term health to grind it out, especially if you're talking about for more than a year, two years, four years? I mean, four years is a significant amount of time, even though in the scheme of life, it could be considered relatively short. And I imagine that part of this comes down to your support structure at home. And so I guess what I'm curious about, Mrs. Grumpus and you, what is what is your relationship with money like? And how has that relationship affected or had an impact on this inflection point? That is an insightful question. And I will say that our relationship with money has changed over the years that we've been married. When we first got married, There was no real discussion on money prior to marriage. We met overseas. I was stationed overseas. She's from a European country. We got together, moved back to the States on a fiancé visa and quickly got married. And then, you know, we started living our lives together. Then the topic of money starts coming up. And um, I, by nature, somehow, through my upbringing, my parents raised me to be somewhat frugal, even though we, we came from what I would consider a well-to-do family for for the Midwest. My parents weren't out there trying to keep up with the Joneses for the most part. So, you know, I had inherited this this frugality uh, from my parents that um, that had transferred on somehow. And um, Mrs. Grumpus, although she wasn't completely irresponsible, she had gone through some irresponsible years uh, money-wise and uh, was carrying some debt with her. I didn't know that before we got married. So we uh, <laughs> we quickly butted heads on, on that in our early marriage about you know the formation of a budget for the family at home. And at the time, it was just us. And we quickly knocked it out of the park as far as getting rid of that debt as soon as she uh, got her green card and started working. It wasn't wasn't an issue, but you know that set a tone within the family for how the finances would be handled long term. So as great as Mrs. Grumpus has been supporting me emotionally and family wise, you know, from being the leader of what I jokingly refer to as the camp followers on my blog, you know, <laughs> us and our two children now. At the time when we were just two dinkies uh, earning a living with a lot of money coming in, it wasn't always the same as now. I mean, there wasn't a clear idea of of what we needed to be saving all this money for. And I, to be honest, I didn't have a clear idea of of what we need to be saving all this money for either, other than that's just what I've been kind of taught to do by my parents as far as, hey, you know, once you start making money in this world, you got to save part of it because you're not always going to be working or, or you never know what will happen in life. And so, we struggled early on, Mrs. Grumpus and I. I don't lie. I think I wrote an article about how we headbutted, and I didn't handle it the best. You know, I just kind of laid down, okay, here's the budget, you know, drop the mic and walk away. And that didn't set a great pace or tone within our relationship for how money issues would come up and be discussed. But over the years, we have gotten far better with it, I think. You know, we have learned to live with well within our means, you know, saving uh, anywhere from 30 to 40 percent a year. And this was, you know, well before we discovered financial independence or I came to this epiphany about what what our savings coupled with um, my pension might be able to do for us long term. And, um, you know, she is great with it now, shopping at Costco, you know, planning out meals, the whole the whole deal. I didn't have to do a lot of that, but, you know, a lot of that stems from the beginning of our relationship where we did butt heads quite often early on about how we were spending money. And, you know, she still 
we still, <laughs> from time to time, we talk about things. I, I just, I think naturally, I was just born to hate spending money. Well, I and, love uh, that. She, I love that that's ingrained into your moniker. But I'd like to slow down on that if we can, because there's many couples out there where may, maybe either the wife or the husband is just ingrained in the Fi community, and they are just soaking up the podcast and the blogs, and they're taking this back to their spouse, and because they're mic dropping there's some serious resistance because they're saying this is what we need to do. There's no buy-in. And so I'm just curious, you know, if you could dig out some actionable tips from where you started to where you are now, where you're clearly not both, you're not both soaking up everything that you can read about pensions. You're not going on there and finding and reading all the blogs and all the articles, but you're more or less on the same page at this point and you're pursuing a common goal. Is there any actionable advice that you can give to someone who's maybe a few years behind you on this path? Yes, absolutely. The first one would be, especially if you're trying to initially get a handle on your finances in a young marriage or as a couple, is that it's got to be done together. That was obviously my biggest mistake was I discovered after we got married, Mrs. Grump has had some debt, $10,000 worth of about credit card debt. I'm like, right, there's a problem. You know, I'm the kind of guy who's just solved or born to solve problems. So I went away and solved the problem. I'm like, all right, come back. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go boom, 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 boom. I thought I was solving the problem. What I was doing was creating a different problem because I didn't involve Mrs. Grumpus in any of those plans or decisions. We didn't sit down and, you know, knock out a budget together or figure out, hey, this is how we're going to transfer it. So that was one thing I would say right off the bat is it's got to be a plan that you are determined to solve together. If you don't have buy-in from your other half, you are setting up yourself for a much longer amount of complications. The second thing I would say is you have to track your money. I am huge on this. Budget, yeah, yes or no. I'm kind of up in the air on that. But the idea of tracking your money and knowing where all your money is going just comes back to pay dividends over and over again throughout your financial life, regardless of whether or not you're attempting to achieve financial independence. Just knowing where your money is going and what it's doing is absolutely important. So if you've done step one right and you've involved your spouse or your significant other, and then step two is you're tracking money. So you have this buy-in, you have this agreement together that you should be tracking your money and knowing where it's going and what it's doing. But I think it, it makes some of the other steps easier as you go along. Now, um, the headbutting that went on early in our relationship came back to bite me when I went to present this idea of financial independence to Mrs. Grumpus. She wasn't on board the first time I came up. Hey, I, oh my God, I've solved all our problems or all my problems. I figured it out. I'm going to continue in the military and, and just I'll never work again after after the military's over. It's brilliant. And um, she's sitting there at, looking at me with a skeptical eye thinking – I know in her head this is what she was thinking. You're just going to sit around the house and you're going to bug me all day long. <laughs> and I am not on board with that whatsoever. You know, she's, she's developed this life, you know, being a homemaker that's raising two boys. It's a lot of work. So – you know, she's sitting there in her eye like, you're going to just be this disruptor and, and this, this thing I've built for myself. And so, um, yeah, the first conversation about financial independence didn't go so well. Obviously, it takes multiple times for me to learn these things in life is that maybe trying to achieve buy-in instead of just going off to solve a problem is a lot better. So the second time I presented it to her was a much better 
well thought out discussion. And we have annual discussions about our finances in the family right around tax season time. It's a natural time when you've you know reviewed your your taxes and all the stuff you need to submit. We use a CPA because ours is somewhat complicated with her having come from Europe and still having accounts over there. So we use this natural point within the year to sit down and actually do a review, talk about finance. And so, you know, the second time was kind of like, hey, what is your biggest fear, you know, money-wise going forward? What's, what are your biggest concerns? You know, it turned out for her that her biggest concern is that she has come to appreciate a certain standard of living that we've been able to achieve throughout my military career. And she doesn't want that to change. And that was kind of a big aha point for me. It's like, well, if I can show you a way that I can retire and possibly never work again, and you could never work again if you didn't want to, you, you know, you could or you couldn't, uh, it's completely up to you. If I could show you a way that we could do that without our standard of living dropping in any significant way, shape, or form, would that make you or feel more secure about this this plan I put together? And the answer was ultimately yes. You know, if if I could demonstrate a way, you know, mathematically or or whatever, that our standard of living wouldn't drop, then uh, she was on board. So that's the third takeaway right there. You have to find out what your significant other's resisted points are to this idea of financial independence. And in my case, fire, you know, of retiring early and the potential of never working again, find out what they are and then try and address those. And if you don't, then you, I don't see how anybody would ever get their significant other on board with an idea like that, unless you just are such in the same mindset about everything that they don't need convincing. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, first, not to play a marriage counselor, but communication is just so important. You just don't know what the other person is thinking until you literally ask or you have that conversation and you approach it in a good-natured way, right? Not how you initially tried 10-plus years ago and basically said, here's our budget, we're knocking off this credit card debt, that's it, right? Like That, to her, probably felt like an attack. And oh, my life is changing dramatically and X, Y, and Z, like that's a big thing. And it seems like a one-way communication as opposed to, hey, this is a plan that I think we can do going forward to achieve financial independence. What bothers you about this? What concerns you? I mean, I think that's a brilliant strategy. And I think that's something I try to focus on here on the podcast is like, try to meet people where they are. Try to figure out what lights people up. What would be resistant for them? What would make them excited about financial independence? It's not about just, this is what the math says and that's that. Because frankly, the math, that appeals to maybe 10% of people out there, but it's it's the why that appeals to the other 90. And it's finding that strategy. I think you did a brilliant job. And what I love, I had this vision of like back in the early days, you know, you have this budget and maybe it's even a relatively easy budget to follow. But just the conflict it caused. And you had this one, this one paragraph in this article that you wrote. And you said, sticking to the budget was not at all that hard. Although she could have a different opinion about that. The real issue was the resentment the budget created. As someone who had worked her entire adult life only to give up her career to immigrate to the USA on a fiancé visa, marry a serviceman, and await a green card, she had already experienced a significant shock to her identity and her psyche. At best, she viewed the budget as my attempt to metaphorically shackle her to the house and kitchen. At worst, she viewed it as a punishment for a mistake 
in which we were both culpable. In fact, considering her resistance to the budget, it was probably both. And I have this vision of you sitting on Mint or whatever like software that you're using at the time to track your finances, and you're just asking her about each individual receipt saying, all right, what category is this? Okay, what category is this? And her just totally shutting down on you. Yep, that is correct. That is exactly what I did. And it was the wrong way of going about it. That's one of the reasons why I wrote that article was because I could see in, in your forum on Facebook, you know, all these people, this question comes up constantly, right? And so I wrote this article to convey, you know, hey, don't do it the way I did. And I, a lot of my articles on my blog are like that because I've learned so many money mistakes over the years. But, you know, that one in particular is like, sure, it worked out okay in the end, but, you know, there's a much easier way of going about this and it's not the way I did it. But this expands not just to your spouse, but to your your immediate social circle, to the people that you care about deeply that you want to see achieve just a better level of financial success in every aspect. And this is one of the things that I always give so much credit to Brad about. He's so much better at that strategy. And instead of telling someone what they need to do, you know, talk to them about their aspirations, their goals, that sort of thing. Get that buy-in first and then see what's that gentle nudge that you can give. What's that one like small light bulb moment that you can encourage somebody with? And it just, the strategy is so valuable with this whole conversation. It is. And it's not something, that especially a person like me in the military, an officer who's been told from the very beginning of their military training, hey, you're an officer, you give orders, other people follow. You know, that doesn't transfer very well to the home <laughs> life, first of all, just as an overall general rule, not a good way of, of trying to carry your home life. And certainly, it doesn't help in the conversations about, you know, money, financial independence, security, those types of things. As you said, it's got to be a two-way conversation. It's got to be about finding what it is that motivates that person or, or what fears they have and trying to solve those fears or, or allay those fears somehow. And now that you've overcome those fears with your wife and, and had this conversation, I'm curious, what does financial independence look like to you? So you're only a couple years away from getting this pension. You've been saving, as you said, a number of minutes ago, 30 to 40% plus. That's probably before you found the FI community. So you're sitting in a very enviable financial position. Like, What does FI look like when you retire? What it looks like for us is we will go back to Southern California, hopefully. If not, we have a few other geographical alternatives in the U.S. um, near military locations so that we can benefit from, uh, you know, all the things that a military retirement has to offer as far as those uh, extra perks and things like that. And um, we'll own a house outright, and we will have an ability to pay for our boys' college. We will have an ability to essentially do whatever we want. We could work again. We could start a business. She could go back to work. doesn't matter because we don't need to do it if we don't have to. And that's what financial independence looks like for us is, you know, the world is our oyster after that point, essentially. Nice. Yeah, I absolutely like that. And I just wanted to kind of ask a a random question that, that came up in my mind when you were telling your story. So you're 16 years in. Obviously, you have this situation with PTS and and you're trying to decide, can I make it to the end here? Did the decision ever almost go the other way? Did you ever actually almost retire from the military and just say, to heck with the retirement. It sounds great, but I just can't make it. And I've been saving this money. I think we can do it nonetheless. Was it ever that close, I guess, is my ultimate question. I think for me, no, that would be the answer there. As soon as I had the mental breakdown, 
I got myself checked into therapy, started seeing a therapist, and started to solve my mental issues, or at least, you know, try to solve those issues, as well as I continued on the financial educational journey I was on at the time anyways. And uh, it kind of all came together in many ways about, gosh, I guess a little over a year ago, I was listening to... um, uh, Tarabi, uh, what's her first name? Oh, Farnoosh Tarabi. Farnoosh Tarabi's podcast, and uh, she interviewed Jim Collins, and I'm like, "Whoa, this is what? What's he talking about? This, you know, idea of fu money?" And he's making some references in this interview about this idea that you might be able to accumulate enough money to never work again. And so I immediately went and checked out his blog got his book because his book had just come out, downloaded it on my Kindle, and I read it, and it blew my mind. And I'm like, not from like the aspect of, hey, low-cost index funds and stuff like that, because I was, I was already there at that point. I had done all the research and kind of knew all that math. But this idea that, especially with, with Mr. Money Mustache giving, giving the intro, this idea of you know accumulating enough money to never work again. And so I went, went away from that trying to examine, can I do that now? And and the obvious answer was no. The obvious answer was, yeah, we had accumulated a lot of money, but we hadn't accumulated enough to where we never, I would never work again. And a lot of my anxiety and stress I had placed on myself up to that point was this unnatural belief that I had to go and find another job after the military. So in the years leading up to my uh, mental breakdown, you know, my PTS and things like that started catching up with me was this idea I would always go on from the military to do something else, you know, be that government contracting or another government job or something completely different altogether was this idea that, you know, you just don't retire from the military and, and never work again. That's um, unless you retire as, you know, very high in the officer ranks. You just you just don't do that, right? You know, that's just you don't have enough money to live on. But the discovery of the fact that with the fifty five, sixty thousand dollars that my pension would bring in every year, depending on exactly when I retired, you know, coupled with what we had already saved was a completely uh, it was a game changer. It was a completely different ball game. So I guess to answer, that was a long way of answering your question, Brad, is that I was never really that close to smashing the button, the eject button and getting out. I never submitted my papers, my resignation papers or any of that drama because kind of all this stuff kind of came to the head weirdly, you know, maybe serendipitously all at one time. My mental health issues, this financial journey I'd been on, listening to that podcast and finding this idea that Jim Collins had presented and then, you know, going on from there and just reading all the blogs I could about this idea of financial independence. So, sorry. Long, no, 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 no. That's a great one. I was actually going to say to you, I'm actually glad you took the long-winded approach because you set us up for this perfect transition to talk about how to calculate your gap number because that's essentially what we're talking about. You had this epiphany that while you did not have enough money saved up to technically call yourself at FI, you had this golden albatross waiting for you just a few years down the road. And when you added those two together, you came up with this space, and I believe you called that the gap number, right? I do, yes. So I wrote an article about how to calculate your gap number, and it's exactly about that. It's about looking at, again, evaluating and quantifying what your pension is going to bring in at whatever retirement point you choose, and then 
figuring out what your uh, what the difference is in, in what you project your expenses to be. And I've heard you guys talk about this issue on the uh, the podcast before. It's one I think it's great. It's a brilliant thing in that when you're talking about retirement planning or you're talking about FI, you need to understand what your expenses are. You don't need to concentrate on trying to replicate how much money uh, you're making in your working years. You need to understand what your expenses are going to be in your post-retirement or post-FI years or whatever you're trying to shoot for and understanding what kind of fixed income streams are going to solve part of that equation and then what the safe withdrawal rate coming out of your investments is going to do to solve the rest of that equation. And that's that's really the essence of trying to solve for your gap number is that you know, for as a pensioner or as a future pensioner, I have a certain amount of fixed income that's going to come in. So that takes my safe withdrawal rate number or, you know, that magic number that a lot of people are saving for down a huge percentage, right? And so the gap number is just that smaller amount in between what your pension, maybe, you know, eventually social security, if we're lucky enough to still have that around, it's going to bring in versus uh, what you need to rely on in your investments and in your savings or in maybe your side hustle or, or whatever else to get to your number. And we won't try to replicate the wheel and go through all of your article series. I think it's enough to say right now that that is not as difficult of a problem as it sounds at face value. It is quantifiable, but you are going to have to do some research and it will depend on your specific scenario. I know that when you were doing the research for yourself, there were a few financial calculators that you found very useful. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the resources that you leaned on? Yeah, I can. And uh, I'd have to give a huge shout out to Darrow Kirkpatrick and his website or blog, Can I Retire Yet? After I found Jim Collins and really started to get in into this idea of um, maybe never working again, I had to go out and figure out how to make those calculations. And somehow I found Darrow Kirkpatrick's book titled the same same title as blog, Can I Retire Yet? In that book, he talks about the need to use good financial calculators. And I think Darrow's probably done the exhaustive analysis on what are good financial retirement calculators versus what are probably not so good. And he's he's got these levels and tiers of like more high powered versus less high powered. You know, I ended up using of course FireCalc is one of the popular ones that a lot of people use. Uh, but I also ended up using Flexible Retirement Planner, which is a completely uh, free. I think there is a paid version, but a completely free high powered uh, retirement calculator that allows you to put as many inputs as you you want in and you know all the different variables that you, you'd have going on in your specific scenario to include fixed income like a pension coming in, you know, future expenses like college or whatever, and then you know, crunch those numbers. I think that one specifically uses a Monte Carlo scenario. I won't necessarily delve go down that rabbit hole of, of how these things calculate. You can go to Darrow's website and read as much as you want about it instead. But that is what I use. Like the, so that was the next logical step for me was, you know, I found this mind blowing idea of financial independence and uh, you know, fire the retirement early aspect of that. And it then came down, hey, I, I gotta figure out how to make these numbers work. Like you said, it's not as daunting as you think it is to begin with. I am not naturally inclined towards math. 
I never did well in math in school, but with the tools that are out there on the internet, it is a lot easier. And and I would also say, you know, I referenced this before. I've been tracking my money for, you know, as long as I have been employed as an adult. So, you know, one of the first computers I got came loaded with Microsoft money on it. You know, I've been using that for decades. And then, you know, I transitioned to Quicken and Mint and Personal Capital now. So, you know, you have all these tools out there that makes that process so much easier than when I was doing it back in the Microsoft money days. But the bottom line is I was always tracking our money. And so I was quickly able to transition all that knowledge I had uh, once I found this mind-blowing concept of phi into making the calculations, right? And to being able to actually see on a spreadsheet exactly what it would take for us to achieve our goal, or at least my goal at the time. And then that allowed me Going back to our previous part of our conversation, that allowed me to go to to Mrs. Grumpus and be like, you know, I've done these calculations. I think we can do it. I think we can hit your goal of not having our standard of life drop because of all these different things that I'm looking at here on this spreadsheet. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What I think is so interesting about that is you latched onto the value of tracking your income and to some degree your expenses at an earlier age. But it sounded to me like you didn't have the light bulb on, oh, wow, I should really understand how this pension works until much later in your career. Oh, yeah, I did not. And I think many military people, I can't speak to other pensionable communities, but up until recently, until the new retirement system came in, you know, the, the retirement, the older retirement system that I'm under, three high, you know, hadn't changed very much over the years. So everybody just kind of had this general understanding of how it worked. But I had never specifically looked at the details. I had never specifically looked at all the benefits and all, like exactly how does retired military uh, medical work and how does dental work and all that. I never done that, right? So I, I had to go away and do all that research. I had to go and kind of bring that back into my projections for our post-retirement life and, you know, what those meant from an expense point of view and then what that meant as an income point of view as far as the pension paycheck and stuff like that coming in. So, you know, (laughs) I'm guilty. Uh, I'm sure plenty of other people are too, but, you know, I'll be the first to stick my hand up in the air that I served over 16 years in the military before I ever bothered to do the research on exactly the benefits my pension potentially would pay and and bring to me. So I just want to highlight almost an actionable tip because we have a large, a significant percentage of our audience that is in the military in one form of service or another. I'm just, I wanted to take a second to highlight, could you maybe express to them the value of understanding how your pension works, not just when you're about to get out, But from the beginning, I mean, do you feel that if you had understood how the pension works from the beginning and you tied that to your understanding of what your expenses were and what your income, if you put all those together, do you think your plan crystallizes much sooner and it gives you a more clear direction for where your future is headed? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that had I done that earlier on, uh, I would have had a much clearer goal or an idea at least, maybe not as crystallized as a goal, but at least a much clearer idea of what exactly we were saving for and what our money could be doing for us, as opposed to just, uh, you know, once I retire at 20 or 25 or whatever, I got this pension and, you know, probably going to have to go to work again. 
because that's what everybody does. That was that was not a clear goal. That was not a clear understanding. Actually, as I've done the research into this pension series that I have written, it actually turns out there are institutions out there that have studied this, and um, you know they find that very early on in people's career, there's just this natural tendency for them not to focus on what the retirement benefits are. Just full stop, not even pension, but just full stop. And you know, as they get more uh, longevity into their career, obviously that comes more to the forefront. If you could somehow shift that mindset from later in the career, like where I was and shift that up a decade, I think you are in a much better place than you would be otherwise. I don't see how you could not be. Do you think a lot of people entering the military intend to be there for 20 years? Do you think that's part of it? And if this education was brought up a decade, like you said, would that factor into how long people do serve? So Brad, the statistics don't bear out. I'm sure a lot of people come into the military thinking they are going to do a full 20 and earn that retirement. And a lot of people in my generation probably did that as well. But the statistics just do not bear that out. There is um, an overwhelming amount. Uh, I think it's up in the 80% range that get out before they earn their pension uh, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they were only ever going to serve four, four years and get out to begin with. Or maybe they got somewhere along the way and decided this wasn't for them. For whatever reason, there is a, only a small percentage of people who have actually been able to carry on through to that 20-year that mark and earn that pension, which is one of the reasons why the DOD has now gone to this new system where you can walk away with something like a 401k through the Thrift Savings Program that you know previously there was no match. So it was an all-or-none thing for me, and it still is. But the younger generation now is, I think, getting – somewhat better deal in that they don't have to worry about that all or none as much. They won't get the huge pension unless they stay in, but they will at least walk away with something. I'm curious also, have you been able to present financial independence or any of these topics to any of your colleagues in the military? Like, Have you actually had conversations with anyone? That's funny you should ask that because my blogging actually had a previous career as, as some emails I was sending around my command of, um, hey, I'm, I'm new at the command. I'm really into personal finance and stuff like that. Yes, you have all your, your regular uh, methods of contacting, you know, the family career center and things like that. Or, you know, you could read this email that, I, that I've put together. A lot of my blog posts started that way as previous to me even having this idea that I would become a blogger of just being these emails that I would send around the command of, um, yay, have you ever thought about this? Or, hey, here are some blog sites you might want to check out or, you know, just various things. So I have tried to spread the fire, as you guys are often saying, within the command I am currently at. My previous command, it wasn't set up necessarily that way, and I, I wasn't naturally at a point anyways to really start talking about it. But uh, it's certainly since I've been here in Hawaii uh, for about the past year, I have been trying to do that. And I've had you know a little bit of success. One of the um, non-commissioned officers, one of the senior non-commissioned officers who I work with, uh, recently approached me and said, hey, you know, I'm in this math class, and we were talking about um, compounding interest, and then all that stuff that you've been talking about for these last few months started to make sense. And so I'm, I'm, I'm transferring over my accounts. I've paid off my credit card debt, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, that's great. That's awesome. Let's, let's sit down. Let's talk. And 
and help you get there even sooner. I take the approach, I'm kind of like the guy on the beach throwing one starfish back into the sea at a time. You throw some some general comments out there, or an email or something like that, to try and stimulate some conversation, see who's interested. After that, you just got to engage on a person-by-person basis. I agree, and certainly don't discount the value of that one, two, five people that, that you've spoken with, because I've found in my own life that this does really increase exponentially. Like I'll tell someone about Phi or about my podcast and then I'll find like they go and talk to other people in their lives. Like I I randomly met someone yesterday at my CrossFit gym and he's like, oh, hey, you're Brad. I I listened to your podcast because this other guy was telling me about it. And it's like, you know, (laughs) it's crazy, right? Like how cool is is that? It's great. and I'm not the most outgoing, like, oh, I have this podcast type of person like that. That's just not my style. But like, so I never would have had this conversation with this guy. But now, you know, he's a salesman. He's in his car all the time listening to the podcast. And who knows who he tells, right? And it just goes on and on from there. So we make the impact that we can in our lives. And, and so definitely don't discount that. And for the audience out there, that's the strategy that I always talk about is, is find those people who may be interested in this and just talk to them in passing about it. Don't stuff it down people's throats. That's just not going to work. But, you know, you find that one or two people and, and then you've got a group and then some other people might join you. And it just goes on and on from there. So I, I think that's the best strategy personally. Yeah, I know you guys have probably seen this as you built both your, um, your podcast up and as well as your Facebook group. You know, you hit this tipping point, right? And um, not to say that I am anywhere within the realm of the the followership, nor would I be, you know, talking about pensions so much. But uh, it has been interesting for me to see, especially since I took a cue from you guys and, and developed a, a Facebook group to go along with my blog. You know, for, for the longest time, it's probably about 20 readers and me just sitting around talking about pension stuff. And lately... For whatever reason, that that membership has started to grow because maybe your word is spreading, and then you know through the Facebook group and stuff like that. Whenever pensions come up, there's oh yeah, there's this you know blogger Grumpus Maximus. He's he's you know always talking about pensions, and so you know for whatever reason, you see these things start to grow slowly over time initially, and then exponentially grow from there, right? It really is cool. So I'm curious, Grumpus, since you've been tracking this, you have your pension in place, how much longer till you reach financial independence? So my goal right now is uh, three years, uh, four at the outside, depending on I'm sensitive to conditions of the market and things like that. So I want to leave myself a little bit of a window, but three to four years, that's the target. Awesome. And yeah, I just have one one last question. This is kind of like back of the envelope math because people ask me this all the time, how the interplay works with the pension, your expenses and any net worth you have saved up in the market, et cetera. So let's just say for argument's sake, I think you said your pension is going to be about $60,000 approximately. And your yearly expenses just hypothetically were 80000 and, and we're not going to talk about inflation or anything like that. This is just simple back of the envelope. The gap then would be 20000 right? The 80000 expenses less the sixty you have in pension. Is it as simple as saying, okay, you have this 20000 gap you need to make up. You multiply that by 25 or whatever your safe withdrawal, but we'll just use the 4% rule of thumb. Multiply that 20000 by 25 to get a $500,000 pot of money. And I can then withdraw 4% from that 500000 
there's my 20,000. I ride off into the sunset and I'm financially independent. Like, is it as simple as that? And of course, I know you have this long series, you know, eight plus parts. So obviously simple. I'm using kind of tongue in cheek here. But like if someone was looking for back of the envelope, could they use that? Or is there much more to it? Yeah, you're spot on, Brad. You hit it. In general terms, you just described everything that I've been trying to describe over the last hour. So great job. Wonderful. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, we'll just put a little like skip the hey. timestamp at the beginning of the episode. All right, just go listen to this part and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to listen to me waffle on. You don't have to. And uh, obviously, Brad, you're trainable, right? Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, well, no, but I mean, that, that's great. I'm thrilled about this because I don't know anything about pensions. And, you know, people ask me that question. And if I can summarize it just from learning what I've learned from you over the last hour, then that's wonderful. Right. Like that. That's a big win because I was coming in with no information. And that's that's how I would come out conceptually from this. So hopefully the audience took that away. And then when I was able to summarize it, then then that's the bow on this. Yeah, it's, you know. Depending on when your pension kicks in, for a military pension that kicks in right away and some other government pensions at various levels of government that kick in right away, it is as simple as that. What I love about this and tying it back to the Todd Trusseter episode from several weeks ago is that's the level one understanding right there. The level two understanding is where you go and you dig through Grumpus Maximus's content. Grumpus, what is the best way for people that do have a pension and need to figure out how do I add into this the fact that it's not indexed for inflation, the fact that healthcare isn't baked into this, the fact that I have very unique circumstances about when this is going to land? What's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, so I'm on grumpusmaximus.com. That is uh, many thanks to you guys for uh, encouraging me to go out and secure that domain. I'm also on Facebook under my nom de guerre as well, Grumpus Maximus. I run a Facebook group. It's called the Golden Albatross slash Golden Handcuffs, where we talk about all these pension issues in depth as well. Or you can email me at uh, grumpusmaximus at grumpusmaximus.com. Awesome. Well, normally that would be the end of the episode, but on our show, we like to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? I am so excited for this. (laughs) In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. Do you guys just walk around with that playing in your head everywhere you go? I, I, I think like that would be like my theme music with voiceover in the background. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. So I listen the to the podcast at the end. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I listen to the podcast episodes after they get published, usually with my wife, and I never skip through that. <laughs> I, I don't blame you a bit. It is one of the the best parts of the podcast is hearing that. All right. Question number one, your favorite blog of all time. Yeah. So my favorite blog of all time, since, you know, a lot of people have said uh, Jim Collins in the past, I'm, I'm going to go with Daryl Kirkpatrick's Can I Retire Yet? Because that was the one that really allowed me to start getting into the details and calculating all these things that we've been talking about in order for me to figure out that, you know, financial independence and early retirement for me is possible. It is not this um, mythical thing. It is, you know, and, and Darrow is a great example because he is an early retiree, didn't rely on a pension to do that, but, um, you know, has 
just a huge number of resources on that page. He's been blogging for years. And, uh, and so that, that's my answer. Uh, can I retire yet.com? One of the best in my opinion. It is definitely a goal for 2018 to have him on the show. Yeah. He doesn't do too many, uh, podcast interviews from my understanding. So he's, he's one of my two main mentors. Um, I have to give a shout out to Doug Norman, you know, Nords, uh, who is the original military um, financial independence blogger. And uh, he's, he just happens to be here on Hawaii. I'm stationed in Hawaii at the moment. So we got together in the very early days of my blog. And uh, he's been mentoring me along, but he, he did an introduction, for, an e introduction for me to Darrow. And uh, both of those guys are great. But uh, I think Darrow spends a lot of his times outdoors and enjoying, enjoying the retired life, much like you know we all talk about. All right. Question number two, your favorite article of all time? You know, obviously, I listened to the podcast avidly, so I knew this one was coming. And um, I, I'm going to take a cop out and say uh, I have yet to be able to find the exact article in Jim Collins' uh, blog that corresponds to – the idea of the you know the four percent safe withdrawal rate and what he talks about in his book a lot. So it's it's somewhere on his blog. I haven't quite translated it, but you know the theme from the book that I pulled away and you know just the mind blowing aspect. Not so much of you know what he talks about in his stock series about uh, index funds and things like that and how to cut your costs and just you know the simplicity aspect of it, but the other side of hey this is what your money can do for you in retirement and you know getting into the he, he discusses it in his book a little bit you know getting into the trinity uh, study and stuff like that and i know you know some people have some issues with it but just as a general intro point into this whole idea of a safe withdrawal rate i'm sure it's on his blog somewhere but it's definitely the way he draws it out in his book was what i remember most I think that's part 13, the 4% rule, withdrawal rates, and how much can I spend anyways? <laughs> that is impressive knowledge. Agreed. I just bookmarked his entire stock series in my mind for quick reference. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys got him on the, uh, on the podcast so many times. I'm, I'm sure you can just give him a call. You probably have him on speed dial, don't you? If you had like the bat phone from the 1960s show, uh, yeah. yeah, I would totally have that red button inside the statue. That would be to Jim Collins. No doubt about it. <laughs> and Jim listens to every episode. So, you know, he's listening to this, which is great. Well, I'd love to meet him someday. All right. Question number three, your favorite life hack. I've given this a lot of thought too. And, um, I don't know if this qualifies as a hack or not, and we've talked about it extensively already, but just tracking your money and um, having an understanding of where your money is going and what it is doing. I was doing that for years without any real understanding as to why I did that, but when I did have the realization that I needed to be doing that, it was all there for me. So, you know, when I started making the calculations about financial independence, all that information, I had years and years of data. So, my confidence in the numbers I was projecting is, especially as far as expenses go in retirement, you know, I have a much higher confidence because I've been tracking our expenses for decades. I don't think there's going to be some huge fluctuation between what we do, you know, now versus retirement because I have this understanding because I've been tracking our money for so long. So I'm not sure it's a hack, but definitely you got to be doing that. I love it. That is perfect. Absolutely. Question number four, your biggest financial mistake. Oh, that's, that is easy. And that is, and I 
I wrote one of my personal favorites. I don't know if it's anybody else's personal favorite article about this. I sold 300 shares of Amazon in late 2004 in order to accumulate enough money for a down payment on a house in Southern California at the height of the housing market. And uh, the compounding effect of that um, of that cost over time. Um, <laughs> you could have just, just bought been, the house now. Oh, multiple times over, <laughs> I think. You know, and it's just, oh, God, the tears were strolling, streaming down my face when I was writing this because I had always known that was a mistake. You know, after, after the housing crash, everybody kind of knew, you know, that was kind of a mistake for buying at that height of the market with that frothiness. But um, I had never actually gone away and calculated the cost. And, and it wasn't just Amazon. Amazon, I sold a basket of stocks, but Amazon's like the biggest one in there that if I had just hung on to it, I wouldn't be sitting here probably talking to you today. All right. Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. I think education in the personal finance realm has got to be the number one piece of advice. If I could go back in time to that 18-year-old Grumpus Maximus that you know legally took ownership of the money from this lawsuit that I mentioned at the very beginning and you know, explain to, to that person – Hey, I know it's hard to imagine, but if you can just educate yourself enough, if you can read a book or two, if you know, your money or your life or or some some book that was popular, maybe like uh, the millionaire next door at the time, at least touch on this this issue from time to time instead of walking through your life ignorant thinking you know what you're doing with money when you really don't. That would be my biggest piece of advice. And just out of curiosity, since you did bring up the the hundred thousand dollars earlier, I I really wanted to ask, but the conversation moved on. Like, did you spend any significant portion of that frivolously, or like, did your parents keep an eye on it, or was it just yours and you theoretically could have done whatever you wanted? It's more the former. My parents, up until the point where I legally took custody of it, definitely there were certain rules. I could maybe withdraw a little bit to buy a used car when I needed it. Uh, I did that. Education was definitely an allowable expense. I financed my master's through that money, and that, to be honest, was probably the best money decision I ever made. Didn't know it at the time, but just you know, from life experience where I went, I went overseas to study and get my master's, and it was just this great thing. So there were like within limits, there were certain things I could spend that money on. But by the time I had gotten into the military and, and moved on from there, that money was mine to do whatever I want with. So obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking I'm day trading and buying stocks on my own. And I'm just lucky I didn't, you know, I don't, I, this is a family friendly program. So I'm, I'm lucky I didn't blow that money, right? I'm lucky it just didn't go away. Somehow, I think in the back of my head, I was I kind of knew what that money was supposed to be, and my mom had always always told me, "Hey, this money is for you later in life because these injuries are going to catch up with you, and you need to have made this money do something for you in that aspect of being there for you later in your life because who knows like what kind of medical issues are going to come out of this this accident later on down the line." Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant advice by your mom and, and to think long-term. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a little five lesson as, as a 18 year old. So that's really wonderful advice. Brad, when he started that story, like at the beginning of this episode, talking about how he got that windfall from this you know horrible accident, I was convinced that unique, that story was going to finish with the money being blown. So 
kudos to you and your parents for having used it for a good purpose. Uh, we do have a bonus question for you. Your favorite purchase made on Amazon.com last year? So I, uh, I bought an electric bike to make my commute easier because uh, I don't know if you've ever been out here in Hawaii, on Oahu specifically. It's hilly, and uh, I live at the top of an 800-foot climb. So at the end of the day, I was coming home exhausted, and I bought an electric bike. And it was a great purchase in as much as I realized I, I loved the experience of, of being able to bike to and from work. Couldn't do it without the electric part of it at the end coming back up that hill. The purchase itself, and I actually just published a, an article on this, uh, wasn't the best purchase. But I've subsequently gotten a newer e-bike that can actually take the amount of punishment I'm putting it through. But overall, the initial experience in, in buying that off of Amazon was probably the best, uh, best thing I've spent my money on in a while. Grumpus, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story. First of all, you are welcome. And then thank you as well for, for a young blogger like me. This has been a huge experience, a great experience for me. So thank you as well. Thanks, Grumpus. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you got value from it. I hope that if you have a pension and you're trying to figure out how do I incorporate this pension into my five plan, that this added a little bit of construct, definitely go check out Grumpus's content if you want more information on that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. If you want to support us, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. If you want to do that, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to chooseify.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of Fi, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free and just go to choosefi.com slash PC, P as in Paul, C as in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 38, The Why of Fi, and right behind that, have them go listen to episode 21, The Pillars of Fi. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.